Welcome to the show, everyone. You've tuned into Paradigm Shifters. Okay, we're going to shift your paradigm tonight. We're going to be talking to Dr. Megan Rose. Oh, I'm Veronica Entwistle, and I've been doing this show for a number of years, talking to exciting people who are doing cutting-edge things on the edge of our uh, consciousness and reality. So Dr. Megan Rose is someone who has really a fascinating rapport with beings of different levels of consciousness. And I'm going to let her explain it. I'm very excited about it all. As like you say, you like to do weird facts. I'm going, <laughs> and you're, um, <laughs> you're called doctor, but you've got a lot of credentials, uh, a lot of metaphysical doctor. I imagine that's part of it, but that's only part of it, eh? So why yeah, don't you well, tell you know, people I, what your credentials, not credentials, but your trainings are? They're really interesting. Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, from the scholarly angle, I do have a PhD uh, in psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies. And Good. then I have a master's degree in religion from the Graduate Theological Union, which is a seminary. Okay. Um, so those are sort of my, that's sort of my academic pedigree. But then um, <laughs> in, the, in the realms of transpersonal spirituality and, and psychospirituality, I have um, initiations as a, a ceremonial magician, uh, a Shakta Tantric practitioner, and I'm a senior here in the House of Breed Fairy Seership Institute. So this is what did you my, call that again? The, your voice blurred out. Is it the House of Brie? B R I G H. Okay. Um, fairy Seership. So okay. those are sort of my my initiatory traditions that I carry, and then I have a whole host, a whole bevy, as you were saying, of. Um, psycho-spiritual and um, metaphysical trainings, everything ranging from um, craniosacral therapy to, um, I'm a clinically certified hypnotherapist and an energy worker, a body worker. Um, I have training in um, the Taoist healing arts, Chinit uh, Song, which is... Um, uh, oh, that's the, the belly area with the massage, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of I studied with one of Montag Chia, Master Chia's senior apprentices, and did an uh, uh, apprenticeship with her. So I, I I really have tried to come at all of you know, and, and really the inquiry behind all of this is what is this embodied experience that we have as humans of of spirit, right? Of vitalism, of um, this this extrasensory spiritual perception that seems to in, arise in and through the vehicle of the body, irrespective mm. of religion, right? Irrespective of tradition. And um, you know, I was raised Pentecostal Christian. Oh, I was just so, going to ask you that. Like, what were you like as a child? Yes. I was I was a weird kid. <laughs> I, <still laughs> I, hope weird so. kid. I hope so. I hope so. So I was raised in the Pentecostal tr- Christian tradition, and uh, you know that really just saturated me in the realms of the paranormal. Although I, you know, I think the Pentecostals might shudder to think of it that way. But you know, when you're laying on of hands and you're speaking in tongues and you're channeling the Holy Spirit. Like you know, twice on Sunday and once on a Wednesday, um, for you know that was for 18 years of my life. Um, wow, my goodness! That's a pretty powerful initiation in and of itself, working in the gifts of the spirit. And um, when I but got tell into me this, doesn't then, that mean that you yeah. actually have an intrinsic? Uh, direction for that as well. I mean, somebody else might be going through the Pentecostal thing and not come up with what you did. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that a part of it is innate, um, you know, innately gravitating towards, if you want to call it my soul path, right, or my mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of it is my ancestral inheritance, right? The ancestors had a, definitely had a hand in this. I come from a matrilineal line of um, seers, oh. um, which that tradition um, 
when my family uh, converted to Christianity, uh, you know, hundred years ago or so, um, we sort of lost that thread, um, and I picked it up again. You know, okay. I kind of um, had had such power. Well, and I, I guess I should back up and say that you know, growing up Pentecostal, I was having those powerful experiences in church, but I learned really quickly that I could contact that same sort of um, spirit-filled energy out in nature. Okay. And so I I learned that, you know, my connection to trees in particular, and I grew up uh, in an area where there were really um, ancient oak trees. So I had these really profound connections with these oak trees and redwood trees um, here in the um, San Francisco Bay Area is where I grew up. And so um, I was having this connection in church, but I was also having it in nature and, you know, when I kind of became a young adult and found some of the, some of the teachings and beliefs and, um, and the restrictions of Pentecostalism, the more fundamentalist aspects, kind of onerous, I, I shifted more to that nature-based uh, spirituality. And, okay. um, and really, when I went to seminary was when I was really trying to unpack what is this? spirit, right? I, I've grown up with it as the Holy Spirit, but I know that it is more than that because it shows up transculturally, right? And all these different um, traditions. And that's sort of what sent me um, from seminary onwards into studying um, all these different metaphysical and um, psycho-spiritual um, practices to try and really unpack and understand that phenomenon. Tell me this, when you were at the ministry, when you were studying in the theological school, were you, were there other people like you that were metaphysical or spiritually physical and, you know what I'm trying to say, uh, wanting, yeah. wanting to be vaulted beyond uh, the normal? Yeah, I would say there was a small, there was a small um, Coven. Uh, circle of us. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, you know, it's a, it's actually an apt term because that where I really kind of got my my sea legs was um, in the Center for Women in Spirituality at the GTU, at the Graduate Theological Union. It was sort of not a an enti- not a separate school, but like a a center, uh, a focus point within the school. And you know, women's spirituality is so deeply rooted to earth based spiritualities mm-hmm. that that's really you know where I first became um, aware of and interested in earnest in earth based. Um, spiritual practice. And, um, and so, yeah, so I met others there in seminary, but it was still very, you know, and this is one of the reasons why after seminary, I just sort of dove into studying hands-on application of um, spirituality, because it had been very ivory tower, right? It had been very in my, um, in my scholar brain, and I needed to get it down into my body and into like, um, my lived experience, which is mm-hmm. a very, you know, um, from a women's spirituality perspective, it's like it's all, our bodies are so such powerful tools for the perception and the interface with spirit that um, that's why I sort of went into all of the, you know, body work and energy healing and all these different um, avenues. Wow. So and your body is full of ideas and history and all kinds of stuff, isn't it? All of our bodies are, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we carry the epigenetic memory of our ancestors. Do you have babies? Do you have children? I don't. I have cat babies, but no, no human <laughs> children. This, this book, this research, you know, honestly, Veronica, this research is kind of my child. It is, um, uh, you know, I, I wasn't able to leave the physical lineage, so I'm leaving sort of a, I'm leaving a, a spiritual academic. Well, you know, it's interesting. I just think you are leaving. I mean, you've written and you've presented and you've got your YouTubes and you've done so much work on people that that is changing people. People are absorbing and integrating uh, some of your, I would say, not just the intelligence, but the, um, uh, the energetic viability of a lot of these things, you know, you're actually imparting it to people as you go. Pretty interesting. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely is a transmission. And, you know, I say in my book, 
that it, you know. Um, and the what's the name of your book? You better tell us that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called Spirit Marriage, Intimate Relationships with Other Worldly Beings. Okay. Yeah, and it's really rooted in that story of having this deep, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, which later on I would understand as the the feminine face, you know, the goddess, the feminine face of the divine. And um, and through that, understanding her her presence, her place um, in my life and in me, um, and then that would open me to other uh, 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 other bonded relationships with um, with spirit beings, um, and you know, but when that arose, gosh, I was um, I was in my my early thirties. So this was twenty years ago, um, and I was um, in sort of the middle, maybe like closer to the, the, the tail end of all of these um, trainings that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I started having these, I've always been a powerful dreamer, but I started having these really powerful contact dreams where an otherworldly being would show up in my dreams and, um, and interact with me. And, you know, I had enough of a background in, um, in visionary work and also in um, therapy or in, in psychology, I should say, to be able to discern. And, and I got, you know, some support and, um, and divination from, from mentors to be able to discern that these were, in fact, otherworldly contacts and not just, you know, gestalt, right? Not just me sort of um, making things up or, or even my unconscious or inner aspects of myself. Mm-hmm. So I had this other world being show up and it started asking me to marry it. And this, you know, was new to me, right? I didn't really know about spirit marriage. I didn't really know that it was possible. I knew there was some historical um, precedent for it. Um, just because as a religious studies scholar, I had studied the Genesis accounts and the Enochian text. Um, that talks about the sons of God, the angels, and the daughters of men, and how they married and gave um, gave birth to the Nephilim. But I didn't know it was still happening, and so they I they gave birth to the, to the what? The Nephilim? Did you call it the Nephilim? So the Nephilim in the in the both in the Christian Genesis account and in the in the Jewish text. Uh, the Nephilim are hybrid beings okay. that are born from the union of angels and, and women. And um, they were considered to be, some, by some accounts, they were um, very benevolent and they helped the rest of the human race. And in some accounts, they were troublemakers. And um, I think that, you know, it's probably a both and like, but there are probably some of them that were troublemakers and some of them that were, were helpful, just like any person mm-hmm. <laughs> or people. Um, and, and it's, it's also thought to be the root of the idea of where like the heroes arise. Um, like if you think of Greek mythology and, um, you know, the Greek pantheon that would mate with humans and then they would have these demigods, right? Well, and I think of that biblical uh, comment, which is when the sons of man married the sons of God or something. I often think that's an inter-spiritual marriage. Yeah, so the sons of the sons of God married the daughters of men. Yeah. Uh, is a, I think it's Genesis 6-2. Okay. Verse. And so, um, and, and there are verses outside of just the canon that extrapolate on that and that talk about all these things that happened. Um, they were part of the text that were found in 1942 with the Dead Sea Scrolls okay. that sort of revealed all these apocryphal stories. Um, and so, um, so I knew about that, right, from, uh, from a religious studies perspective, but I didn't think it was still happening. Um, until I had this encounter. So tell us about, and do you mind so, talking so, about the encounter? Well, it was a series of encounters, and they were, you know, as I said, they they began in, in, in my dreams. So okay. I would have this otherworldly being that would appear in my dreams. Sometimes the um, encounter was erotic, um, but it was consensual. 
and um, and into being. And I should back up and say that the arrows of that wasn't just for sort of carnal pleasure, although that's a, a lovely byproduct. It was more a kind of transmission, a kind of activation that was happening, a quickening, if you will, in my nervous system. Not unlike being, um, not unlike being filled with the Holy Spirit. So there was there's definitely a somatic corollary between being filled with the Holy Spirit and having these sort of erotic spirit encounters. It's like your whole body, instead of just like your genitals going into um, orgasm, it's like your whole body goes into exaltation. Your whole body goes into this rapturous state. Um, and so that was often the content of the dream when this being would appear and ask me to marry it. But I was like, well, you know, I'm not just going to marry you <laughs> having this profound experience. Like, who are you and what is your agenda and what do you want and why? And so, you know, being a religious studies scholar, I decided that I was going to put my scholar hat on and research it, you know, both, both from a practitioner standpoint, right. But also from an academic standpoint to try and really understand what is this? Why is it happening? I don't think I'm the only person that's probably experiencing this. Um, and so, you know, so who else is? And so that became the, the, the research kernel for my, um, my PhD research, which has then become this book. And, uh, what I did was I looked at historically, you know, what are all the accounts across the globe, as many as I could find, and I'm still finding more <laughs> that didn't make it into the book, but what are these accounts of this idea of humans marrying otherworldly beings. And when I say otherworldly beings, it literally could be deities, angels, elemental beings, ancestral beings, beloved dead. I mean, um, it's really the, the scope of this is, is actually quite broad and wide. Um, and so I, I did the research of, uh, about historically and anthropologically where it's showing up. But what I was really interested in was how are contemporary practitioners of spirit marriage currently practicing and experiencing their marriages with other worldly beings? And yeah, so I want to know about that, that kind of, actually. It seems like it must yeah. be transcendent for the species, but maybe I'm just having that illusion of grandeur that you get when you have a new idea. Right? No, not at all. In fact, that's one of my, my um, biggest hypotheses is that I think the marriages happen at key points in our evolution as a species to help evolve us, to help move us forward. Um, and uh, I think that they're arising and this research is coming out right now because we really need as, a, as, as humanity and as a planet to take a step forward. So how um, do they move us forward by being. consciousness in our brain, by uh, potential in our DNA or like, do you understand that? Or can you explain that to us? Is that too big a question? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all of the above. Uh, if you look at the folkloric accounts and just, you know, the, um, the evidence that we see from both the practitioners that I interviewed and the stories that they told me, um, union with an otherworldly being sort of precipitates our own self-sovereignty and stepping into um, uh, a kind of knowledge and conversation with our divine selves. And it and sort of with, separates you um, from the mass consciousness, doesn't it? It absolutely does. It really helps disentangle you from, you know, what I like to call the inputs or the programs that we're running um, from our culture, from our upbringing, even from, you know, our ancestry in some cases, and it sets you in a place of co-creative union, right? So usually these spirit marriages, and, and let me back up and say that, you know, um, as an intuitive, you know, we all um, have this intuitive capability and, and the ability to sort of reach through to our guides, uh, tutelary spirits, spirits of um, the earth, all these various angel deities, all these various beings that we can reach through to. 
Um, and that's what I would call spirit contact, right? Spirit communication. Spirit marriage is sort of, you know, if you think of it as a spectrum, spirit marriage is sort of like a later development okay. or a later phase. Like spirit communication, you can think of kind of in dating or, or just, you know, having a friendship. And then spirit marriage is when uh, a particular being and you have a a deep bond, a deep commitment, and something usually, it's usually something that you want or need to bring out to the collective, to the rest of humanity or to the planet, um, that the two of you can do together. Or, you know, um, I should say, I say two, but you can be married to more than one spirit. That's um, what I was going to ask you. You can, you can be involved with more than one uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spirit marriage is sort of inherently a polyamorous <laughs> practice. There are, you know, uh, there are a number of people that uh, I interviewed that were married to more than one, um, more than one otherworldly being. Um, to me, and, it seems logical uh, that it would seed um, uh, a sharing of these of the consciousness uh, in more than one way. Um, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, the marriage is really undertaken because you've determined that you, um, much like with a marriage to a human person, you have a deep, devoted, bonded, daily relationship, daily practice that you are cultivating and um, and working on together. Mm-hmm. Um, and often people marry a spirit and they're married to that spirit um for the rest of their life and sometimes on into the next life um some folks uh end up in spirit marriages because they've been married to the spirit in past lives and they're sort of renewing in my case it was sort of like a marriage vow renewal um but if uh, you were already if somebody was already married on the earth plane would they then move into as well incorporating some spirit marriages? Do you see what I'm trying to say? What are the parameters? Are there mm-hmm. any? Yeah. Well, I was married uh, and uh, in a committed relation and am in a committed relationship with a human person right now. Um, so, and, and most of the folks that I interviewed and I interviewed nine different people in seven different traditions um, were had either a human spouse or um, uh, were in a deeply committed human relationship alongside their spirit marriages. So that's why it's sort of inherently polyamorous because you're negotiating um, commitments to more than one, more than one person, um, with the understanding that you know a person isn't just a physical person. A person can be a spirit person. Well, you know, something that hits me is I go, if we have many different lifetimes, it seems like Mm -hmm. doing the spirit marriage, being married to someone on a committed 3D level sort of thing, but bringing in someone else, it's more like you're moving through different realms of yourself. It's not exactly the same place or it's not a competitive thing or am I right about that? It just seems like it's another aspect of you. Well, I would say that the spirits that are married, um, that you're married, married to mm-hmm. are not uh, just an aspect of you. They're separate entities. Um, and so you're working with, uh, an intelligence, a consciousness that is, you know, it's not like just an archetype or an inner aspect um, of yourself. Um, the divine self technology might be an inner aspect, but um, but in as much as these spirits are not bound by 3D or even 4D, right? They're not bound by space time. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have a much more transcendent, or or if you think of it as like a bigger picture arc. Of the um, entire of the many lifetimes that we live, and they might be persistent through all of those mm-hmm. lifetimes. And the interesting thing is, um, and this is something that I um, I postulate, although um, I don't. This is one of my theories, I should say. Um, I think that there are times where they might be incarnate, and we're in the spirit realm. 
and then we might be incarnate and they're in the spirit realm, and then we both might incarnate, and then there are times where we're both just sort of in the spirit realm. So it's this sort of like moving in and out of form to Mm -hmm. do different things Mm -hmm. for different purposes. Well, that kind of answers what I was trying to frame earlier, (laughs) but I I really appreciate that part, actually, because it's Mm -hmm. like a huge, infinite, not flexibility, but motion, isn't it? It's like a... Mm-hmm. A beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what to call it, but it's beautiful actually, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, I ended up talking with, uh, like I said, nine different people who held spirit marriages. And I was really interested in um, people who were considered to be ministers or priests or priestesses, um, leaders, mentors in their tradition, mm-hmm. um, and that held a marriage and had had a marriage for a significant period of time so we could sort of track the arc of what their relationship was like in their life and the changes and the transformation. Well, can happened. you talk about and that? I'd like to hear about that, actually. What? Yeah, so I spoke Go ahead. Uh, about the different people or about the transformation. Um, I, I guess it's like, how do you conduct a marriage in this life? Sure. But you also have to. Yeah. Be, yeah. I don't know. I just want you to talk about it somehow because it's hard. To, <laughs> it's hard to make it linear because it isn't. It to me, it's un, unfolding, flowing, evanescent at times. Is it? Yeah, it can be. It can be, be very um, uh, transcendent and transformational. Um, so. I, the folks that I talked to really briefly, um, just to give you an overview, I talked to a fairy seership practitioner who's married to a fairy being. Okay. Um, and we're talking about the ancient folkloric understanding of fairy, not the um, Disney Tinkerbell fairy. We're talking about fairies as primordial shaping beings that came here and informed the early, um, the early primordial formations of the planet and the species. Um, and then I may, I um, inter- interviewed a Shakta Tantric practitioner who's married to the goddess Kali. Okay. Uh, I interviewed a practitioner, a, a, a West African shrine keeper from the Dagara lineage in Burkina Faso, West Africa. Uh, I interviewed a... Um, ceremonial magician who'd gone through the uh, knowledge and conversation with his holy guardian angel. And I interviewed three different practitioners, excuse me, four different practitioners of both Haitian and New Orleans voodoo, Hmm. the the African diaspora tradition Hmm. of voodoo. And then I interviewed a um, a sort of eclectic witch um, who practiced uh, in many different traditions and many different pantheons. Uh, and uh, she calls herself a, a, a witch doctor, um, sort of coming out of the old English definition of uh, the one who does sort of visionary work and um, brings back medicine for the community. So those are the nine different people that I talked to. And each of their stories varied quite a bit, but then they also had a lot of similar themes um, and a lot of similar experiences, which was really fascinating considering the broad spectrum of people I spoke to. Um, but to answer your question about how does the marriage happen, it really depends on the, the being that you're marrying and if you're sitting within a tradition, the practices and the protocols of that tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, like in the Vodou traditions, it's a very, um, very highly ritualized practice that mirrors a human marriage, um, meaning there uh, is uh, vows exchanged and rings are exchanged, and uh, usually uh, a person stands as a proxy or the stand-in for the spirit spouse, and they channel them, and the marriage is conducted that way, and the community is there, and there are gifts, and there's cake, and there's, you know, wedding clothes that you wear, and it's a whole set. Like it's wow. a whole to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in some cases, in the more visionary traditions, they, the ritual or the marriage happens in a trance or in an altered state where um, 
uh, in the uh, the witch doctor's case, she was taken into these sort of like astral temple type places, and the marriage was conducted more in the astral, um, and then everything else in between. Um, and and I should just note that like some of these marriages happened. In fact, most of these marriages happened at the prompting of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, very few people that I interviewed had actually um, asked for the marriage or sought the marriage. It was sort of yeah. I was going to ask somebody... that very question. Good for you. You're good intuitive. You yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, usually, like in the case of the fairy seer Orion Foxwood. His spiritual mentor, Dolores Ashcroft Nowishki, um, had a, uh, an experience with um, uh, Orion's uh, fairy contact, Bree. And Bree came to, to Dolores and basically said, you know, I want to marry Orion. And Orion didn't even, like, that wasn't even part of, he just thought that he had this powerful, guiding, you know, teaching spirit. Um, and so that, that was how the marriage came about, was that, you know, she appeared to this spiritual mentor and said, I want to marry him. And, um, and then a, a more formal ritual marriage, like I just described with the Vodou tradition, they, they took that approach. Um, and in Madrun's case, the West African shrine keeper, she married, um, thinking on the earth spirit, uh, in that cosmology because that, uh, her mentor, needed a shrine set up to that spirit and they couldn't set up a shrine for the community. They're a very community-based practice. They couldn't set up a shrine until someone had married that spirit and they did this divination and it was pretty clear that she was meant to marry the spirit. So again, it was like this arranged marriage kind of thing. Does anybody Um, ever object? uh, (laughs) You know, it kind of depends on the spirit. Yes, you can absolutely. We have sovereignty, you know. So when we're talking about working with other worldly beings, it's not like they're so... Um, so far and great and beyond us that we, you know, we bring a lot to the table. We do things they can't and they do things that we can't. And so, you know, for it to be really co-creative, there has to be consent. And if someone is um, not in consent and doesn't want to go through with the marriage, um, depending on the spirit, you know, some spirits might, might press, their agenda a little bit more because that they can see something that you can't see or they need that, something that done is, like you said make it a shrine or, or they want something done yeah <laughs> but um, we do have quite a bit of agency in this and even you know even if we're unsure like in my case like I said the spirit wanted to marry me and I was like I don't know you I don't know what you want <laughs> And I, I, but you had all I that ecstasy could, that came through, right? I did have the ecstasy, so I knew that it was something that was probably generative, but I didn't know what the impact was going to be. And I spent ten years negotiating with the spirit. The ten years that it took me to do this research was the time that I spent negotiating and really getting very clear on what was the expectation if I said yes to the marriage. So we have quite a bit of the ability to push back, set boundaries, say, this is what works for me. This is what doesn't work for me. If I say yes to this, then I, you know, then I'm asking for, you know, we can't ask like, I want $10 million. If I say yes to this, that's not really a realistic uh, request, but we can say, I don't want my life, um, destroyed to the point where I can't pay my bills and keep a roof over my head and, you know, but have another way of looking at it is you're getting a huge infusion of uh, different dimensional influence in a way. I, I feel like that's something to either resist or be excited about or to be actually exploring for the greater yeah, for the greater good of all the people around you, right? Or absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And many of these spirit marriages are not taken uh, undertaken just for the for personal gratification. They're actually taken on as service pieces to the collective. Whether, and it makes sense. Uh, Ten uh, years isn't very long when you consider that incredible influence, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the sharing that yeah, has to the, happen. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and depending on the entity, like in my case, my contact is very strongly connected to the fairy realm. And so, um, and that energy is really, like I say, it's primordial and it's really got this, you know, for the unprepared, it can be a little bit like sticking your finger in a light socket. <laughs> and so there's, there's quite a bit of rewiring. Uh, in the nervous system and in the psycho-emotional body that needs to happen to be able to safely run that energy. And so those 10 years, that's interesting. um, You know, I I say 10 years because that was the time it took me to write the dissertation, but really this energy started coming through probably about seven years before that. Mm -hmm. So um, we're looking at probably a 17 year arc of really recalibrating myself to be able to, um, bond with that particular being in a way that was safe and sane and grounded for me. And that's, you know, I'm all about being safe and sane and grounded in this work. Um, yeah. So it you have to be focused on that, don't you? I mean, you have to be. Yeah. I, I think that, well, particularly for me to be able to bring this material forward and share it with all of y'all, Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to be able to do it in a way that people would understand, people could hear, and that I could embody in a way that um, that allowed some of the more strange or weird or you know weird as in supernatural aspects of this to not um, to not overwhelm or or you know freak people out. Because this is a this is something that I like to say it's a practice that's been hidden in plain sight, right? It's begin it's it's been with us since the very beginning mm-hmm. of human history. Mm-hmm. Um, it first shows up textually uh, in uh, various traditions, but you know I tracked the first textual record of it in my research to. The ancient uh, to ancient Mesopotamia and the Sumerian sacred marriage, mm-hmm. where the god uh, the goddess Ishtar married her priests or her priestesses. So that's sort of the first time we see a written account of it. Um, although I should say, I think there are probably earlier written accounts in um, the Hindu tradition, possibly in some of the earlier um, shamanistic traditions. Um, they're just uh, not in translation or haven't seen translations of them. Um, so it's old. It's an old, old practice. And like I said, it shows up across the globe. Um, but it has been roundly kind of suppressed or even sort of vilified um, because of exactly what we're talking about, because it brings powerful personal transformation and agency to the individuals and that, that practice it. And uh, by and large, our mainstream religions aren't so interested in personal agency and sovereignty, right? For the oh, individual. boy. <laughs> I, I won't make any big comments, but I wondered if you could make a comparison just for this particular s- section, a, a comparison between that and channeling. So I do channeling, but I had a certain amount of trepidation about that, about like who was coming in and all of that. And you've obviously studied these different beings way beyond what I studied when I began channeling. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, channeling channeling can be a little bit like um, that dating process that I was talking about, where you might have... Um, different entities coming in, or you might even have the same entity that you're channeling. Um, I'm thinking of Seth uh, and the Jane Roberts material, right, where mm-hmm. she's constantly talking to Seth, but that entity is coming in, and then it's going out, and it's coming in, and it's going out. And spirit marriage is like the entity is in, it is indwelled inside of you, so that's another term for this. I use the term spirit marriage because I think marriage is something that we can easily get our brains around what, what a marriage is like. Because it but implies a becoming, thing. doesn't it? It implies a merging mm-hmm. and a becoming. Mm-hmm. And that's another term is indwelling or emerge. Mm-hmm. So you're merged with a being and you share a co-creative consciousness from that moment forward. Like the two of you are... Um, 
are 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 hosting a collaborative consciousness. Um, Orion, my mentor and the fairies here, puts it this way: when he closes his eyes, he sees into his fairy wife's world, and when he opens his eyes, she sees into his world. And that doesn't mean that she's constantly rattling off commentary in his consciousness 24 7 you know he has <laughs> a way well. you know that he can yeah which would be crazy making right um but he has ways in which that you know he can withdraw into more of his world and she can withdraw into more of her world but it's it is a deeply bonded committed um consciousness at that point that you're hosting the two of you together and you're no longer just answering for your own life and choices but also for that 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 love space between the two of you right that that luminous sort of bond that you are responsible for just as if in a human marriage you're responsible for the nurturing and the care of the marriage right you're and this is deepening as well is it not mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's deepening and any byproduct you know just like you might have children, mm-hmm. human children, you have, um, you can have um, sort of children that are the byproduct of this spirit marriage union. Uh, like in my case, my child, as I said, is this is this materialist, this research, is this book. Um, but there are instances of human, as we talked about with the um, the Genesis account of. Um, of physical children being born or astral children, spiritual children being born um, that become like guiding spirits. Um, and But a woman can't be having a baby that was seated by her spirit husband, can she? Well, we don't do you know think that. The story of bird, what do you think the story of the virgin birth is about? Well, that's a good right? point, my friend. That's a very yeah. good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, Mar- Marguerite Goliotto, who was a mentor of mine, um, has some really fascinating material that she writes on virgin birth and virgin birth technology mm-hmm. that is not just um, unique to the Christian tradition, but shows up in many different traditions where um, human women are impregnated by otherworldly beings and give birth to these children, physical children, that kind of like Yeshua, kind of like Jesus, have um, extraordinary capabilities and, uh, and, and powerful destinies. Um, so, yeah, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot to unpack there, right? There's a lot of potential in what these marriages um, could precipitate. Well, you know what's really funny with me? I feel quite at ease. I'm going, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I don't feel it's weird. I feel it makes sense. Does that make sense? I think it does. I think it does because that it's pulling together a lot of threads that have been, like I said, hidden in plain sight. They've, they've been at kind of in our different mythologies and our different religions. Um, just in in different places, and I'm trying to pull together a map, right? I'm trying to pull together a, a, a put, putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and saying, here's the picture mm-hmm. that all these separate stories are actually pointing to. Now, now tell me this again. I know I asked it before, but I'm asking it differently. Um, do you feel like these beings that come through is like with Yeshua? That that has been a huge, huge impact on in humanity. Do you feel that these uh, these children that come from those uh, <laughs> cross dimensional seedings, do you think they all and then you you said they do have pretty big uh, roles and so on. Do they all make a huge difference in humanity? I mean, I I can't speak for all of them, but I do know that the accounts historically that I've read are usually some sort of being that has extra genius or extra charisma or extra intelligence or faculty in some sort of way that sets them apart. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they have easy lives or that those 
gifts or talents are um, brought to their fruition. So I'm thinking right now of the folkloric fairy accounts where um, I was reading accounts of offspring of human fairy, so human fairy hybrids, um, people that were descended from that mating. And sometimes they were poets and bards and, and, and brilliant um, brilliant, uh, often healers or, um, um, I'm thinking of Thomas the Rhymer, who was uh, a prophet, right? Mm-hmm. He had this powerful visionary um, ability of prophecy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, though, they were simply mad, right? They couldn't integrate into human society. Mm-hmm. They couldn't find their footing or their their calling, or they were just uh, you know, like a square, such a square peg in a round hole. That, Could it be somebody um, like Elon they, Musk or is that too plebeian? I don't know. You know, I mean, I think. Um, Do you see what I mean? He just did some extreme uh, individualized steps. And I think, OK, so maybe it's people who have the ability to step past the status quo and all the limitations that we're taught. You know, maybe it's that yeah. kind of brilliance. Uh, oftentimes, they're they're pioneers, um, but then you have to really ask: Is this the byproduct of a spirit marriage, or is it someone who is just really uh, in touch with their genius, right, with their daimon, yeah. that that tutelary spirit, right, that um, that gives often gives people that extra. Um, that extra edge or that extra gifting in life. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert talked a lot about the genius um, in, in a few years ago was talking about, you know, what it is to be in a relationship with your genius. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, I think that, which is con- conceived of in like the, the like platonic Socratic idea of the genius of the diamond is this extra sensory intelligence, right? That, is assigned to you and that if you listen to it will often guide you into brilliance and, and, um, extraordinary gifting. So that, that's, that is one way that it can be accessed. But I mean, here's the interesting thing, right? uh, I like to use the analogy. We can all learn how to play a piano, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Or, or or, some uh, have a gift, right? And some have a gift that gives them the ability to be a virtuoso versus me where I can pound out chopsticks, right? (laughs) So where does that gift come from? Is that gifting, is that extra gifting in uh, in that area uh, a byproduct? Because if we look at the arc of human history and we're talking about early seeding of the, the human species, then we all to varying degrees have various um, makeup, have mm-hmm. a various makeup of these extraordinary, um, these extraordinary offspring. And we I don't want, I don't want to let you go, but I know you have to go. So would you please tell people <laughs> how they can, Oh, research their own gifts through your book or through various other things that you're offering the world. This has been very, very exciting and enticing and kind of peacemaking for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So my book, um, Spirit Marriage, Intimate Relationships with Otherworldly Beings, comes out on April the 5th and is available at all of your local booksellers online and whatnot. Uh, I have a website, spiritmarriage.com where you can go and um, learn more about the book um, in advance of it coming out and um, share your stories if you're having uh, your own sort of experience with spirit marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I do offer courses on spirit marriage and, as you said, a whole bevy of free uh, YouTube content. And you can learn more about my practice and and, uh, my courses at Dr. Megan Rose dot com, which is E-R-N-E-G-A-N-R-O-S-E.com. Well, you're a very very delightful guest, and we'll go find your book after April the 2nd? April the 5th. Okay. All right. April the 5th. 
Well, and this is thank Veronica. You so much, Veronica. Also, yeah, this is Veronica also saying thank you so much for listening. And we've crossed the border in this conversation with Dr. Megan Rose. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Megan. Thank you. Bless it's your an honor. heart. Yeah.